Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 215. Got a really good show lined up for you this week. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, Did You Know, Listener Question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our lead-off topic, we're going to talk about keeping the game fun and things that we as adults need to be constantly reminding ourselves of. Um, as we talk about uh, the great game of fast pitch softball. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about some recruiting stuff. It's uh, on the horizon now. Uh, Recruiting is just around the corner, and uh, had a couple of questions from listeners this week. And then our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about uh, the mental approach we want hitters to take when they're at the plate to ensure that they're really ready to hit uh, every pitch they see. So before we get into those cool topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. Also, if you're in a position where you can become a patron, we would love for you to become one. If you go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch, it's all explained to you there. There's three different levels of monthly support. We've got a great group of patrons that have been supporting us for a long time now, uh, but we definitely would like more of you to join. If you're in a position where you can, if you can afford to help us out, we certainly want to keep doing the podcast and want to keep doing it well. Um, I promise you, Coach Don and I are not getting rich in the podcast business, but everything that we're doing for Everything Fast, which does have different fees and, and uh, service fees and things attached to it, And obviously, the uh, patrons are the people that are keeping the wheels turning and keeping us in business. So if you're in a position where you can, please become a patron. Go to patreon.com. This week's winner of the Pinnacle Power Butter giveaway of our patrons is Justin Welch. Justin's a longtime supporter of Everything Fast Pitch, and he uh, is going to be receiving some Pinnacle Power Butter products in the mail. Awesome. So down our warm-up topic, let's talk about our city of the week, Toronto, Canada. Yeah, that's fantastic. Toronto is uh, really kind of an Atlanta up there with all kinds of suburbs around it that uh, would definitely be a hotbed for softball. Yeah. So I'm not surprised at all if they're if they're tuning in and listening. Yeah. When I think uh, anytime we see the numbers go up, obviously it's exciting for us. Um, it's a little bit of a challenge though sometimes to kind of determine um, when we look at the numbers what exactly it means. When we get Toronto, obviously the city of Toronto is a big city. But as you said, there's dozens of places all around it that um, also have listeners. You know, same thing when we uh, look at the Atlanta area, you know, we'll see the numbers for Atlanta, but then we'll also have, you know, 15 different suburbs that will have numbers similar or even higher than what we get for the city of Atlanta, even though, you know, the the proportional uh, size of those two areas is not the same. But we're excited that Toronto is our city of the week. Um, It's it's always great for uh, um, us to see the numbers go up. One of the things we ask every week is that if uh, you are 
enjoying everything fast pitch, if you're enjoying coach prep, that you find somebody who's a fast pitch person who's not already listening and get them to tune in. Uh, once they listen, I'm confident that they're going to keep coming back. Um, and we certainly would love to have more listeners uh, and, and more new listeners on a, on a regular basis. Tori, there's really something fun for everybody in there. It's a pretty exciting list of things that you share with us every day. Right. I like it. Well, I, I did have an email from a, a listener who was talking about, uh, just found out about the podcast not too long ago, was very excited, but he had decided to jump in at the beginning and listen continuously until he catches up to where we're at. So he's That's um, awesome. not listening to the current episodes yet. And I just emailed him back that if he listened to those first couple and he kept listening, <laughs> he really must want to listen to uh, learn about softball and, and learn about fast because those first uh, few were pretty they, rough. They were tough for us, for sure. Yeah. So, but uh, as always, we're excited to see the numbers going up and happy to add new listeners. So please uh, spread the word, see if you can't get more people to come on board. This week's player of the week is Anna Murphy. She's from Ackworth, Georgia, but she's not a player cool. that has worked with Don or I, I don't believe. She's uh, made the 10 and under all-star team at Kenworth Park in Ackworth, which is an area where a lot of softball is getting played. It's For a very sure. popular park. And as a first-year player, first-year pitcher, so she's just really getting into the game, uh, but uh, very dedicated, very hardworking. Uh, she uh, uh, works on a, on a regular basis with Danielle Rubin, who we know very yeah. well has been a guest of ours here on the podcast. Anna was very excited that she made the 10U All-Star team um, and is just uh, uh, off to a great start in her career. Her most recent game, she had five strikeouts, only allowed one walk and one hit. And only one walk and 10 and under softball, that's saying a lot. That is pretty awesome. And a great job. Keep it up. We so, want to we hear more from, from her here in the ne- near future. Right. Yeah. And so congratulations, Anna Murphy. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. As we mentioned last week, uh, we certainly still want nominations. If you have a player in your life that you're proud of that has accomplished something uh, on the field, in the classroom, in the community, um, anything that uh, is worthy of recognition, we want to uh, find out about them. We want to hear about them so we can consider them for the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. I love sending out those t-shirts, and I love getting the pictures back from kids, you know, just beaming with pride when they're wearing them. Um, There's one little girl. I follow her mom on Facebook. I've seen probably 15 or 20 different posts since that player was named the Player of the Week. And it's not just at the ballpark. In all kinds of different settings, and she's always got that fast pitch prep player of the week T-shirt on. So obviously, you know, a young player that's been uh, uh, impacted and very proud of the fact that uh, she's been named the the player of the week and and has that T-shirt to show off the success and the love that she has for the game of softball. So um, if you want to nominate a player, you go to fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. Send us a few of the particulars, a little bit of information about why you want that player to be recognized, and uh, Coach Don and I will uh, sort it out, decide when and where we're going to recognize that player. And we definitely want to continue to have players from all over the place, uh, players outside of our, our little circle of players that we work with on a regular basis. Got to keep sending them. So please do. And so our equipment tip of the week, down. let's talk about the Square Cuts training desk. No, Tori, again, just like, uh, just like each week, there's always something good to say about the disc. Every time I get, I get a new student that comes in and they get to see him for the first time, you know, their eyes kind of light up and they're like, oh, well, hey, that makes sense. And then they hit it a few times and uh, they're excited to try and achieve the right results and to get that feedback that, that it's set up to, to try and create. So the discs, if you don't have them, you need them. And uh, everybody should at least have a set or, or get a set for your coaches. If you're not able to use them on your own at home, 
then get a set for somebody and, and see what they're all about. Yeah, well, Don, I, as we've said many, many times, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we've uh, developed this Square Cuts training disc. I think it's a very versatile tool, something that's going to go a long way towards helping players understand what it is that they're trying to do when they're hitting. But it's also cool that so many of our customers, so many of our listeners have figured out other things that they can use the discs for. Uh, it's a very durable tool, very versatile, um, has tons and tons of uh, applications to the game. Um, and it's a very affordable training tool on top of everything else. If you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, they're $49.95 a dozen. Go to the website, uh, click on the order button, go through the steps, and we'll get them sent out to you right away. And again, it's something that I think every team should have for practice and every player should have for working out at the house. So, Don, did you know, we talked a while back about the all-time earned run average leader, uh, champion, record holder, whatever you want to call it, uh, for Division One softball. Um, was Tracy Compton from UCLA. And her right. uh, record-breaking year, she had an ERA of 0.04. Crazy. Which was basically one earned run for the whole season. Crazy. Well, watching the uh, Oklahoma game the other day, it was brought to our attention, uh, they, they talked about it on the, on the broadcast, that Hope Troutline, who is a pitcher at the University of Oklahoma, was in a position to challenge that all-time record. Her ERA this year... Uh, up until this weekend, was 0.09. And if she had enough innings between now and the end of the year, um, she could start to sneak up on that record. So it was pretty exciting, pretty heady uh, territory to be thinking about. That's crazy. Um, well, but the bad news is, unfortunately, Hope uh, gave up another earned run this weekend. So the fact that she's given up two earned runs this year probably makes it <laughs> impossible now for her to catch the all-time single-season lowest earned run average record but you know we've spent a lot of time talking about hope trout wine in the past she's been getting lots of innings and uh, well she's it's really they've got a pretty deep staff yeah it it tells you how good oklahoma is that the player with the 0.09 era is not their number one pitcher wow so i guess that tells you all we need to know about how good oklahoma is with their what i think 50 and one record now heading into the uh, postseason but uh Hope was uh, a player at the University of North Texas, transferred to Oklahoma, Oklahoma. for her uh, last year and uh, um, is doing everything she can to contribute to that team, having a chance to win a national championship. I got to watch Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State here this last couple of days. They had the Bedlam series on all three days on ESPN or ESPN2. Was it a good uh, battle? Uh, there, there were some exciting uh, instances, but Oklahoma won all three games. Comfortably. Yeah, um, so... Heading into the postseason, it'll be interesting to see how this is all going to play out. I don't think that it's as absolutely clear-cut as we thought it was, but it's uh, uh, going to be quite the upset now if, if somebody knocks Oklahoma off on the way. No, I think, that, I think Tori, somebody's going to get them, but it's going to be tough to beat them twice, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I just, somebody's going to get them once. Yeah, I, I don't see it. The way they score runs, the way they play defense, um, you know, watching Oklahoma play, very much has that feel of like when you watch a major, when you watch a major league baseball game, if an infielder makes an error, it's like a shock. Right. Like I mean, they're just so steady. They just are so consistent that you know you you see you know shortstops making dozens and dozens of plays without ever coming close to making an error. You kind of have that feeling when you watch Oklahoma play um, that they are just that kind of team. Now there's other really good teams too. Dang, they're pretty good. I I can't wait to see all the spoilers this year, Tori. It's yeah. going to be fun. Well, he heading into the tournaments, now the uh, conference tournaments are coming up and then obviously the regionals, super regionals and uh college world series, it's going to be a fun end of the year. It's been 
an amazing season of college softball. I'm a little sad to know that it's going to end, but uh, did you know Hope Troutwine was in a position to challenge the all-time lowest ERA record this year? So, Don, our listener question comes to us from Jared. Jared's daughter is the pitcher on, on the team. He does not coach it. He was commending his coaches, his daughter's coaches, and their team. Quick little synopsis. Our team played in a tournament uh, last weekend, and the infield was terrible, and the pitching mound was ridiculous. When my daughter was striding, I could barely see any of her leg below the knee. The trench was so deep, and the hole was so, so deep that she was stepping into. And after she slipped on a pitch, her coach went out to ask the umpires what could be done. And basically, after a short little discussion, and I think the... Uh, Uh, It sounds like from what uh, Jared's letter uh, says that it was, well, we can't really do anything about it. Uh, The coach basically forfeited the game, took the team off the field because he said it was unsafe. And he, you know, just the fact of playing one more game was not more valuable to him than the safety of his players. And so Jared's question is, did we do the right thing? No, Tori, again, I, I feel their pain because we've all played on really bad fields and you know, sometimes it's uh, because the fields have been wet or sometimes it's just mismanaged. You know, I can definitely applaud and, and feel okay with that at this point in the year rather than, you know, having a, a hyperextended knee or an ankle injury or, or something like that. You know, if there's no way to, to fix or, or manage the field at that point, you know, take the kids off and keep them safe, I think is, is okay. All right. Well, Jared, here, here's my opinion. Yes, your coaches did the right thing. And honestly, I would tell you, I don't think there's any time that safety of a player should be put at risk especially in that kind of a situation where the pitcher is, you know, pitching in such an unsafe condition, you know, the chance of an injury, the risk is just too high. The potential uh, damage that could be done is too great. And the thing that's unfortunate now, Don, and, and, you know, you touched on it is if something could be done, well, the reality of it is by the time the field is that bad, there's nothing that can be done that day that's going to solve the problem. You know, the grounds crew is going to come out and they're going to push a bunch of loose dirt in there. Yeah. They'll sprinkle a little water on it. And six or seven pitches later, it's going to be dug out, if not as bad, almost as bad as it was eight or 10 pitches ago. The reality of it is, is for us to have safer fields, it means a lot more expense and a lot more preparation, a lot more work being done in anticipation of the games being played. And I think that's where the real problem is because, you know, to do a pitching mound right, that mound basically needs to be completely dug up, completely rebuilt, soaked so that the clay that you put in the ground actually has a chance to, to kind of bond together and, and harden. And then you have to continually maintain that once you've done it. And when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech you know, a couple, three or four times a year, I would basically completely rebuild the pitcher's mound on our field and then would also have to do it uh, you know, at least a half as box. often um, yeah. in the batter's box in the bullpen twice on the right side once on the left yeah and yeah. uh and the reason for it is really simple when uh, we switched to the metal spike nobody understood the damage that that does to the field and especially when you've got pitchers with metal spikes dragging digging landing Same. twisting and turning yeah. when uh, on every pitch the fields just are not built for that they're not maintained well enough for them to hold up to that and so unfortunately you see this a lot more often then I wish we had to. You know, last week we talked about uh, you know catching uh, advice for catchers, and one of the back in the um, trenches. Yeah, one of the challenges was you know that the catchers need to be closer to the hitter and closer to home plate. But there's this foot deep hole dug 
where it's dug, and it's not where the catcher probably really needs to set up most of the time. And so, you know, they can either be you know, off balance and, and uncomfortable, or they just kind of settle into where the holes have already been dug. And so, Jared, yes, your coaches did the right thing. Unfortunately, I think that this is going to be a challenge and a question that many coaches are going to be asking more and more in the future. What I'm seeing is more and more field in rougher and rougher shape because of the amount of games that are being played, the amount of use that they're getting, and whether it's the lack of knowledge or lack of budget or lack of uh, caring, whatever it is, that, that the work is just not getting done. When I would rebuild the mound, it was an all-day job. It's not an easy task. I, I mean, no. I, I was, you know, soaked in sweat from head to toe. You know, I would end up, you know, spending, you know, several hours, three, four hours digging it up. We'd spend another hour putting it back together and laying new clay bricks and then soaking it, covering it with a tarp and keeping it, uh, you know, untouched for at least 24 hours so that that new patchwork of clay bricks could become one massive hunk of clay. And then, and then it would hold up great for a while, but you would still have to continually be ma- maintaining it. And obviously, uh, most city parks, most county parks aren't going to be doing that kind of stuff. All that. No, and again, as you're describing it, we've done it a number of times as well, but it's basically a, a clay block that you set in the ground and fit it together like a, a puzzle yep. in, the, in the areas that get dug up. And that's really the only way. You can't take just a bunch of clay and throw it down there and tamp it and expect it just to turn into that, that hard right. surface that we need. And again, a couple of thoughts that I had, Tori, is that maybe we pick tournaments that are going to be held at facilities that they do maintain better just so we don't have those issues in, going forward. And, and does this really make a good case for possibly um, playing more on artificial turf at some right. point? Well, I think the turf question is one that's getting answered more and more because more and more places are investing in it. Unfortunate part about it, though, is that you still have to maintain the AstroTurf pitching areas. If you go to a game at uh, uh, North Georgia, for instance, you know our good friend up there, Mike Davenport's had that uh, turf field for several years now. And after every game, they still have to get out there with a broom and push the little black pellets back in where they belong to keep the pitching mound maintained. So even if we went synthetic turf fields everywhere, somebody's still going to have to do some maintenance work on them to make sure that they stay good. We're definitely looking at, uh, at a problem that uh, I don't think there's going to be an easy answer. Because you know, if you call the tournament director and said, hey, you know, does your field stink? You know, do the pitching mounds fall apart after the second game of the day? None of them are going to say, oh, yeah, you know, don't come play here because the fields don't hold up. I mean, you, you aren't going to find out until you're in this position, which I'm sure Jared's daughter's team was in. You know, all of a sudden it's you know, partway through the game and, and their pitcher's out there knee deep in a hole in the ground trying to pitch. Yeah, no, obviously, uh, you know, at that point you're, you're kind of stuck in it. But, again, they're not going to go back there again this season. I would hope not. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do you think COVID, maybe all the COVID stuff has, you know, limited the work, work hours? or I, just, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard to, yeah. hard to match I, it Honestly, I, I just think it's a, the two or three guys that are working at the park, by the time they get done picking up the trash and doing all those kinds of things, you know, basically just, you know, dragging and putting the lines down, the idea of closing a field for a day or two and you know going out there and spending six or eight hours doing what needs to be done to really get that mound right and then knowing that you still have to come back the next day and, and touch it up again. Maybe we need to, to poke at our county services. Yeah. And, well, yeah. but I, I want to kind of put this in perspective. Uh, when I was still coaching at UW Parkside, 
I had the good fortune of going to a groundkeeper's training seminar at Wrigley Field. And obviously, I you know, had built both of those fields and you know, had you know, learned a lot about uh, the construction and all those different kinds of things. The thing that was so uh, shocking to me is, you know, as we started on the day, the first thing we did was we went to home plate and learned how they keep home plate and the batter's boxes for the major leaguers perfectly flat. And now this is what they were doing every single either night after a night game or you know, whenever, like before the next day's games, next day's practices, one guy, his job was to spend however much time it took to, to repair home plate. And we're talking about tiny little divots from one game's worth of, uh, <laughs> worth of practice. Right. And so you know, at, at Wrigley Field, they had one guy whose you know, main job was home plate. And that's what he did until it was exactly right. Now, so obviously, it was perfect the, every day. Yeah, so obviously, yeah. the major league level, we're talking about something completely different. But it kind of really shocked me to think that one guy was working on that spot on the field that often. They had two guys assigned to the pitcher's mound. And obviously, in baseball, because you have the hill, having it at the right angles and the right fall and all that stuff is all part of it, too. So they'd be out there with their eight different kinds of rakes and brooms and you know, all these different little measuring sticks and, and, you know, things to check the angles and everything. But they had two guys that were dedicated to their pitching mound. And that was, you know, they worked on it every day. They didn't wait till after they had, but they didn't wait till after they'd had played 15 games on it and tore the, out of it. Right. You know, they were doing it every day and they still had to spend an hour or two every day. So I think that's the real problem is that the, there's just not the time or the um, understanding of what it really needs to be done. So so that was a long answer to a pretty simple question. Jared, your team did the right thing. Nobody should ever put their players at risk of injury. You know, it's already a dangerous enough game with everything else that could potentially happen. With it being when, proper. Yeah, yeah, when we're out there in a situation that we know is, is a bad situation waiting to happen, we got to step in. So, so if you have a question, we want you to reach out to us again at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Coach Don and I love answering the questions. We love having People make suggestions about topics that we can talk about. Um, and Jared, your Everything Fast Pitch t-shirt's on its way to you as we speak. So Don, that's going to bring us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. And this week, I want to talk a little bit about why your athlete is not getting the results she wants under pressure and how to help her get results when there is pressure. And when I was actually focusing on this week and the lesson plan, because this is part of our weekly lesson as well for the athletes, for your athlete, if you want. Um, I was just, the first thing I was thinking about was that having confidence in getting those results when your daughter is feeling the pressure comes way before that exact moment. Creating confidence and results happens outside the game even outside of practices as well. And when I say outside of practices, I mean like at home with you in school, um, you know, in her own time, in her lessons. And yeah, of course, like maybe some practicing on her own and even at some practices with the team and all of that. But here's how you can help your daughter work on what she thinks about herself as an athlete, aka the self-talk. <laughs> um, one, talk about what thoughts she's having when she's under pressure. It's good to just get these out into the open, have conversations about them instead of just holding them inside and, and like never talking about them. Remind her that it's okay to have these thoughts, worries, fears, and doubts. It's totally normal. Uh, the next thing is 
Ask her how these, those thoughts she is having when under pressure is making her feel. Like, how, like what are those, those thoughts making her feel? It's also good to start noticing how certain thoughts are making us feel. This is what creates that great awareness. And then lastly, having her write down or share what she think she wants to think about herself as an athlete, what she wants to believe about herself and her performance under pressure. This allows her to start thinking, oh, like, what is it that I want? What is it that I want? How I want to show up? What I want my confidence to be like? What kind of player athlete that I do I want to be? And getting her to focus on what she wants rather than those negative thoughts or the fears or the doubts or the worries. This is where those magical affirmations are created. So you can help her practice these affirmations by writing them down, memorizing them, writing them on something she'll see during practices and games. You can help her by reminding her of the affirmations and what she wants to believe about herself rather than those those doubtful thoughts. I know you were probably hoping for some fairy dust to make her get those results under pressure, but it all starts at home at lessons with you practice, not so glamorous, right? But it works and it will help you feel more at ease when it's her turn to execute. And again, by the way, like we are working on this in lesson plans, um, sorry, in weekly lessons this week. So if you want me to help her work on this, sign her up for a weekly mindset lesson so that she can start working on this. This is another place that's outside of practice and games and things where she can start creating confidence and results before she's under pressure. You can schedule that lesson at pagetrons.com and you've got this. You can do this. You can work with her. You can also schedule for a lesson. I can work with her so that she can get those results even when she's under pressure. Uh, Paige is doing a bunch of good stuff. She's got a few more new programs that she's launched um, that are definitely worthwhile. Um, She's doing a lot now with the whole mental health crisis that we talked about last week, Um, just trying to share knowledge and share information. I strongly recommend PageTons, T-O-N-Z.com. And as she shares with us here every week, she's got lots of uh, things that will make it more fun and more uh, enjoyable for your daughter to play and, and a better experience for everybody involved. Tori, I've got a couple of students that are going to jump in there and try some of these. So I'm excited to hear back as to you know how they feel about some of the programs. I know that they're going to be better for it. Yeah. So it's going to be fun to find out. Yeah, absolutely. So pagetons, T-O-N-Z.com. So our leadoff topic, Don, is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678 678- Three seven seven zero two seven zero. You can also contact them at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Bats, balls, gloves, equipment, uniforms, spirit wear, the whole nine yards. The folks at Elite are happy to help you, and they're sh- they'll ship anywhere in the United States. So, Don, the topic today is really kind of a simple one. It's like let's keep the game fun, and this is one of those to me. You know, it seems so logical, it seems so obvious, but then it's it dawned on me that I spent an awful lot of my life as a coach making it pretty unfun, right? making it pretty much no fun, because to me, the game was meant to be serious, and it was meant to be hardcore, and we were meant to win, and it was meant to be... Winning is you know, fun. Yeah, you know, they, they didn't have to you know, enjoy every day as long as they had the satisfaction of knowing that they were better players for it, and that you know, they were winning more games because of it. Being a part of the process yeah. of getting there, yeah. Unfortunately, as, as we talk about just about every week, I wish I knew then what I know now, because the one thing I'm noticing watching a lot of these extremely 
successful college team that they are exuberant. They are enthusiastic. They are dancing and, and jumping up and down and, and you know, cheering for everything and you know, showing all their emotions and, and all those different things. And you know, a lot of that stuff, are, 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 I guess it's the kind of stuff that I used to frown on. I used to you know, like, so, you know, act like you've done it before. You know, act like you've been here before. Right. And now I look back at it and I kind of think that uh, it might have been a little bit more successful, might have been a little bit more productive if we'd had a little bit more fun. I always go back, Tori, to you know us being a product of our environment too, and part of all that excitement of winning and excitement of being the best and that stuff wasn't always easy. So I kind of assume that hey, that was just part of it the 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 grind, the dedication that it took to to get there. But uh, maybe it's possible to to do it both ways. Maybe we can have a little bit more fun and work towards that that end goal. Well, I think uh, the one thing that we have to think about is that hard work and fun don't have to be mutually exclusive of each other, right? Right, right. You, know, you can they have can go fun. Together. You can have fun and you can work hard and do both at the same time. And I think that's the thing that all of us adults sometimes we lose track of. You know, we think that if it's not a grind, if they're not, you know, nose to the grindstone and you know, really serious and really focused and, you know, really locked in. On the edge of tears. Yeah, and, that, that they're not yeah. getting better, that they're not getting anything out of it. And I think the reality of it is, especially uh, in this day and age, is that we'd be a lot more productive and we'd, we would be ultimately getting a lot more done if we were finding more of a balance between we need to work hard and, and be focused in certain aspects at certain times we also have to have built-in opportunities for fun. We have to have built-in opportunities. And when it's okay for them to, um, as players, just cut loose a little bit, to crack up a little bit, to see the humor in something and, and have us jump on board and, and, and agree with them versus trying to always rein it in and always make it more serious. You know, and sometimes as we talk about it too, we get to rather than we have to work hard. We get to go to practice rather than we have to go to practice. Right. And- at the mindset, we get to choose our attitude and, and how, we, how we approach it. And again, I think that it's exciting when, when we can have both because why not? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that, uh, you know, for a lot of us that uh, we have to adjust our mindset is somehow if a player that we're coaching or our, our own child isn't unhappy enough or isn't miserable enough when they don't succeed, if they're, you know, if they aren't as heartbroken over a strikeout as we are, if they're not as you know distraught over a error as we are, that somehow that means that they don't care. They don't get it. And the reality of it is, I think that their attitude about it is just fine. It's ours is is the one that needs, needs to, to be checked. Yeah. For I can remember so many times being so frustrated that well, they don't care as much as they should. I don't think they care as much as I do. I don't think they're as committed as they need to be. And in hindsight, how dumb. A lot of that was because the reality of it is, I want somebody um, that cares as much as I do. Yeah, I, I yeah. want it to hurt when they lose. Well, why? <laughs> right? I mean, what's the uh, just because they're not crying over a loss doesn't mean that they didn't try to win. Yeah, or yeah. or didn't learn something from what happened. You know, some of the stuff that I see all the time now that I used to, you know, squash like a bug was cheering. I hated cheering when I was coaching. I hated it, despised it. <laughs> Now, here's the one thing I will say. I, I am happier now when I hear teams cheering for themselves and for their, for their teammates to do well 
more so than they're doing negative things towards chanting, the other team, chanting, chanting at the, the other team. team. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, to me, I, I enjoy the, you know, hey, let's go kind of stuff for our team much more so than the uh, ball six, ball six, ball six, you know, stuff when the pitcher on the other team is struggling. I would prefer that our cheering be cheering for us to do well and so, and supporting each Motivating. other. Motivating. Yeah. versus trying to tear the other team down. But cheering is something I used to always think was crazy. The uh, the one that I see all the time now, I think is great that I would have never in a million years thought was you know, appropriate or okay for our teams when I was coaching is the home run chains or the home run uh, hat or the home run whatever. You know, If a kid hits a home run, the celebration that they have when they get to the dugout and the fact that they get to wear a big, giant, ridiculous-looking chain or something like that because they hit a home run. Those kinds of things, I think, now, and, and to see the joy and the ex- excitement and the enthusiasm. and When it's being presented. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, the excitement on everybody else's face while the, you know, that player is getting the chain put on or you know, getting to wear the vest or what, you know, wear the, the hat or the helmet or whatever it is that uh, signifies that they just did something amazing. But those kinds of things, you know, the, the swag... Uh, that goes along with that is something that I would have never thought was appropriate when I was coaching. And now in hindsight, it's like, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no. And it's definitely fun. We're we're definitely loosening up as we get older, Tori. We're, we're not as tightly wound anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and another one, this is one that I used to, I mean, heartbreaking to me now when I think about it, you see the kids in the dugout wearing like the silly hats and stuff like that. You know, Oklahoma state, uh, one of the girls Inside was wearing out. a cowboy hat. You know, you see the the rally hat of like six or seven hats all stacked on your head at the same time, or you know, everybody's got their helmets on backwards or whatever it is, you know, to try to, you know, spark, to something. spark something. Yeah. Um, you know, once upon a time, I got mad at a player because she wanted to wear a what I thought was inappropriate hat on a bus trip. And I can't even remember what it was. like. A, or if the eye black wasn't proper. Yeah, like a toboggan the, or yeah. something like that, you know, just yeah. to, you know, because it just, no reason to wear that now. It's 80 degrees outside kind of thing. You know, the whole idea is, you know, for all of us as the adults and the coaches to start to look at it and think about, you know, one of the things that when players tell us why they play this game is they play it because it's fun. Well, if we keep trying to squish all the fun out of it. Take it out of there. We can't be too surprised that kids don't want to keep playing or that they're not as uh, enthusiastic or or having as much willingness to, to make the sacrifices. Because don't get me wrong, you know, even if you run a practice that's got tons of laughter and giggling and, and excitement and all that kind of stuff attached to it, there's still times when even those practices are hard. And you just got, that, you know, that component is still there. Stuff that has to get yeah. done. And so we know this game is built in hard. You know, I mean, you fail an awful lot. There's all kinds of pressure on every player. You know, the pitcher's got, you know, an awful lot on, on their shoulders trying to, you know, throw strikes and, and, and make it hard for the other team to hit. You know, every time the ball gets hit to you, it's basically you versus the ball versus the hitter, and everybody at the ballpark is watching you, yep. right? So there's all kinds of pressure built into it. Let's just do everything we can to keep the game fun, let the kids play it, and let them enjoy it, um, and let them kind of set a little bit of the tone, the, the I guess create some of the guidelines for what is acceptable You know, for us as the grown-ups to just kind of take a step back and try to think about it from their perspective a little bit more. And it's probably a little bit of an experiment, Tori, right? On the balance between, you know, having tons of fun and, and the seriousness and grind. Right. 
Um, if you can be the coach that finds that balance that fits that group, that's magic. Yeah. When I think, yeah. Don, you just hit on the most important word in this whole discussion is balance. If your team is nothing but 100% locked in, stone-faced, serious all the time, there's something wrong with that. Right. If they're nothing but goofy and giggling and laughing and, and cutting up and and, and acting crazy all the time. Still something wrong. There's with something it. wrong with that too. Yep. And so somewhere in the middle is that right balance, and it's up to you know all of us to try to do a better job of finding what that balance is. You know, like I said before, I wish I would have been thinking like this 10, 15, 20 years ago. And even though we won a lot of games and had a lot of success on the field, I think we could have done better. I think we would have done more. And I think that more of the players who played would have been more likely to have individual success because the atmosphere that they were playing in would have been more conducive to that. Yeah. You know, you're always so tough on, on the path, Tori. I, it, you were amazing and the teams you had were amazing. Yeah, and I think the kids look back on it. It was just a different time. It, it was definitely a different time, yeah. but I think that I, I guess it, it was so, a, somebody had to be the first person to understand that there was a balance. Yeah. I wish it would have been me. I got you. Know? you. And, yeah. and, you know, like a, a perfect example, we both, you know, think Coach Mike Candre is one of the greatest coaches that's ever coached anything. For sure. And he would be the first one to admit that, uh, you know, that once he started to figure out that getting, you know, much more to the level of less all serious, less all softball, less, you know, winning is the only thing, the more they won and the more success they had. And so to me, sure. I think, you know, when, when you, you see those legendary coaching figures kind of come to grips with that, it makes, it makes all just, of us... I'm sticking up for you. Well, I appreciate it. But so uh, make sure we keep the game fun. Let the kids play. Let them have fun. And uh, let's find that balance, Don. You hit that nail right on the head. The balance is going to be the key. So today, Don, is brought to us by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. All right, Don. So we've been getting a couple of requests to talk about about recruiting a little bit. Now that we're just about done with the uh, spring school ball schedules, you know, a lot of the you know states here are wrapping up in May. Uh, for, you know, may, maybe at the very latest, the first part of June. But everybody's thinking about recruiting. All the travel ball teams are going to be making plans for Colorado and the showcases and all those kinds of things. Um, number one, and this is just the the reality of it now, is the transfer portal has changed recruiting immensely. Because for a lot of schools, that's the first place they go shopping, is going to be an established college player that's yeah. you know, got a year or two or three of eligibility left. It's already proven that they can play at the college level. One question we had was about unofficial visits, and are they still useful for high school-age kids? The way it works, the way I understand it, is that uh, the first date that a player can have an unofficial visit now is September 1st of their junior year. I think that's also the first date that a college coach can have formal recruiting discussions with a uh, potential high school age player about a scholarship offer, about the value of a scholarship, if they're going to offer them one, that kind of thing. And obviously this was all 
in uh, reaction to the, the lack of rules and the wild, wild west atmosphere that had been created when softball coaches were recruiting very young players. And so now the pendulum's kind of swung back. I still think that players visiting campuses, going to camps, uh, you know, doing the kind of drive-by, fly-by thing with schools that they're interested in before September 1st still can have a lot of value. For sure because you're still gaining a lot of knowledge, gaining a lot of information, even though you can't have that sit down with the college coach and you know basically be recruited yet. But so September 1st of the junior year is when the magic starts to really happen. Now the college coaches have watched you before that. You know, you've probably gone to some of their camps and things like that before that. But even if you go to a camp, you know, once upon a time, it used to be that was where a lot of business was done. You, know, you might have a freshman comes to a camp who's a really amazing player. Well, now that freshman can still come to that camp. They can still come and show their abilities, uh, but they're not going to have the sit down in the office with the college coach explaining that, you know, hey, we're going to be offering you a scholarship. You know, we want you to, you know, come to our school and represent our softball program. Try and pull you off the market, right? Right. The, the rule changes were important because we'd gotten to that point where we had kids at very young ages, middle school age kids even, committing to school people kind of came to grips with the fact that, that was not really good business. You know what I mean? Uh, not healthy um, for anybody. No, it was, yeah. it was a pretty unusual thing to see a sixth grader committing to a Power 5, you know, Pac-10, Pac-12, SEC school. And so the idea that that rule needed to change. But so the, basically the, the general advice I give to all young players that are looking to get recruited, obviously the unofficial visit, going to camps, those kinds of things are very valuable. Um, it's still... Uh, comes back to doing a lot of the research, a lot of the grunt work, a lot of the uh, investigation on your own. And more and more now, I think, for young players, it also means them having a much wider and much deeper pool of schools that they want to consider. You know, one of the things that I can't help but be frustrated by is I get the chance to work with a lot of different players that, you know, that have college aspirations. And you know, whenever you ask them, well, kind of what are they thinking about? What kinds of schools are they looking at? You know, what kind of you know, schools do they think are the right fit for them? It's the same thing that we've talked about a hundred times on this podcast. It's Oklahoma, it's Georgia, it's Florida, it's Florida State, it's Clemson, it's UCLA. And the reality of it is, yes, we all know players that go to those schools. We all have known players that have been successful at those kinds of schools. But the thing that keeps happening over and over again is I think every young player thinks that there's an opportunity for them at those, you know, very elite schools. And the thing that I want everybody to, to kind of come to grips with is there's nothing wrong with dreaming the big dream. And working hard for it. But we also yeah. have to have the voice of reason, you know, in our discussion. And one of the things that uh, I had this talk with a team not too long ago, and a team that was the same age that I was recruiting the last years that I worked. When I was still coaching, we were still recruiting at that point in time, the very young players. I spent more time that summer watching 14 and under softball than anything else. And I got to know, you know, 15 or 20 really good 14 year old players. Now all those kids are college players now, cause it's been so long since I coached and a couple of them are doing great. A couple of them have fallen off the map completely. You know, and some of them are on teams, you know, some of them have transferred to smaller schools. You know, some of them ended up going to smaller schools to begin with. But the discussion I had with that team was after working with them at a couple of practices, you know, their coach wanted us to have the recruiting talk. And so we talked about what are your dream schools? And I just had to tell all of those kids, and I said, you know, I, now I don't mean this to be, 
mean-spirited. I don't want to crush your dreams because the good news for you now is because of the new rules, you have a chance to fix this. If your dream really is to play at one of those big-name schools, you still have two or three years to convince them that that you're the right kind of player for them. But the reality of it was if this was the old system, when I was recruiting, explain to them that you know none of you listed the schools I coached at as your dream schools. And I can tell you after watching a couple of practices and getting to know this team very well, that me coaching at those schools would not be recruiting any of you until you fix some of this stuff and change some of this stuff and work harder on some of this stuff, because none of you in that model were, would have been candidates for my team. Right. So when you're you know, sitting here telling me that you want to go to a school that if they played my team back then 10 times would beat us 10 times. And I'm not interested in you because you're not doing the right things. Little thing. yeah. How interested do you think those schools are going to be? You know, when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, if we would have played Patty Gasso's Oklahoma team 100 times, we would have probably gotten to play seven innings 10 times. If we had won a game, it would have been an amazing, like once in a lifetime accomplishment. You know, when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech, we beat Alabama once at Alabama. Right. And that was like the highlight pinnacle of all the amazing, you know, stars aligning in, in, in one amazing night to allow that to happen kind of situation. If that school's not interested in you, then what makes you think Alabama is going to be? And so, you know, just, you know, kind of the, the dose of reality. Now, I'm sure none of them probably wanted to hear it, but I could tell that a few of them were kind of pondering on it. So then we went through the list of, well, here are the things that I'm going to tell you you need to do a better job of if you want Patrick Murphy to pay attention, if you want Patty Gasso to pay attention, if you want Tim Walton to pay attention, if you want Tony Baldwin to pay attention. Then I gave them all the information. Well, here's the things that they're going to really be looking for. Here's the things that they need to see from you. So hopefully some of them will do it. But so the, the moral to the story is, you know, the, the recruiting world now requires players, coaches, and parents to all be realistic about where they fit in and to have a, a bigger reach of the schools that they're interested in. So, and again, back to our original question, part of figuring some of that out would be the unofficial visit. Some of that would be the going to watch them play in a game, would be making sure that if you go to watch them play in a game, you get there early enough, you get to watch them warm up. Yeah. Well, yeah. what hit me in, in what you're saying, Tori, is that you know we're in the information gathering segment of our recruiting at that point. And the more schools that you get a chance to go and get a feel for how they operate, get a feel for how the campus is laid out, get a feel for you know what the coaches are all about. And that could be watching practice. It could be being a part of camp. It could be um, you know any of those things, talking to the, the players when you get a chance. We're trying to make sure that the choice that we make here in a year and a half or whatever it ends up being at that point, that that choice has really uh, been well investigated and we're educated in, in that choice and we can be confident in it. We don't want to have to play the portal game. If it works out in our favor down the road, so be it. But you know, use that time and, and don't, don't settle, like you said, get niched into one or two schools. Let's, let's get out there and find out what everything's all about right, yeah. and and uh, you know we, we've said it hundreds of times. You know we have to be uh, just understand our place in the food chain a little bit more realistically. Yeah. And I think if we do that, everybody's going to end up being happier. So if you have more specific recruiting questions, so again, make sure you send those to us. Everything fastpitch at gmail dot com or fastpitchprep at gmail dot com. So Don, our coaching tip of the week is 
helping hitters keep a good mindset when they go up to the plate. And we've talked about this a bunch of times, but I had two or three different emails and even had somebody send me a video clip of one of his players because he was so excited to see that the whole yes, yes, yes mentality that we've talked about in the past is actually working. And the thing that uh, really rang the bell for me with that video and the email from that coach was she didn't even swing. It was a take. She geared up. Yeah, but the take told you that she was 100% ready to swing. She was in. She was, you know, go, 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 yes, 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 until the ball told her no. Uh, Just a quick review. One of the biggest weaknesses that I think hitters have, and this is something for parents, players, coaches, everybody to be paying attention to, that on game day, they almost always fall into a trap. And that trap is they're so worried about whether it's going to be a strike or not. They're so worried about whether it's going to be a curveball or a screwball or a changeup or a whatever, that they're so busy thinking about all those things that they forget the most important thing. If I wait until I know for sure what the pitch is to get ready, I'm never going to be ready. I'm going to always be in big trouble. One hesitation is all it takes. You hesitate for a moment, and in a competitive setting, you don't have a chance. Right. So you got to be all in. Yeah, and so the whole idea is really you know, very simple, again, to review what we've talked about in the past. Every time the pitcher gets ready to pitch, the hitter has to get really ready to hit. And I don't mean standing there thinking, oh, okay, I'm ready. I mean, it is yes, 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 no, or yes, 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 yes. And when we're thinking about that yes, yes, yes is playing in their head, when you watch their body, you see their body turning into like a coiled spring that's ready to go. It's like a stick of dynamite that you can see the fuse burning down and almost ready to explode. Every part of their body is active and, and working, and you can see the muscles you know, kind of you know, building up and getting ready to, to do their work. If that's not happening, they're not really getting ready to hit. So, yeah, and if they're pitching, I'm swinging until something makes me stop. Yep. And, if, and, and, and if nothing presents itself that would warrant it, or if I don't even recognize it soon enough, I'm swinging. Yeah. I'm hitting it. Yeah. And so the whole idea of is she gets ready to pitch, I have to get ready to hit. But ready to hit means truly ready. Your body is working. Your legs, your abs, your butt, your back, all those muscle groups are activating and getting ready to launch. Your hands are like dying to go. They're dying to launch. Every ounce of you wants to swing, and then you see it's a bad pitch and you stop. All and, the pieces of a good swing are happening. Right. And, yeah. and the video that, uh, that we are talking about earlier, you can see from the look on her face that after she took that pitch, it was almost like frustration or disappointment because you could tell, I I worked really hard to get ready to hit. Would you throw me something I can hit? Right. It was, throw me something I can hit. I'm ready. Everything about it said, I am ready to destroy this ball. There was no apprehension. There was no timidness. There was no hesitation. Everything was go, go, go. Yes, yes, yes. And she looked like she was ready to kill that ball when it ended up being six inches below the strike zone. You know, and she watched it go by. You could just tell that every fiber of her being wanted to hit that ball. What's kind of funny, Tori, is when we uh, when we describe what you're talking about to to groups or to teams, and the the worst thing for a, for a coach to be watching or seeing is a batter up at the plate, and just to watch her head turn and watch the ball go into the catcher's glove. There was there was no chance. It was the most perfect pitch they could ever dream of, 
there's no way they could have hit it because yeah. all they did was just turn their head and watch it go into the catcher's glove. Yeah, there, there was no real preparation. But, but when you describe it, all the girls are going, I've seen that. I know that. I've done that. Yeah. Right? So the light bulb kind of goes off. And, yeah. And, then well, they, yeah. When I, and I think we've, we've both had this conversation with, with hitters over the years. To me, there's two really bad things that hitters do. One is they're so out of control and so completely haywire that they'll swing at anything with no comprehension of what they're doing. And that's really bad. But honestly, to me, even worse than that is not being ready to hit when that meatball goes floating over the middle of the plate. And that frustration that they feel and that heartbreak that they feel, because, oh, if I would have been ready, I could have crushed that pitch. I, well, miss, I missed out on something yeah, there, didn't that, I? That, yeah. That's why we have to be ready every time, because you never know when it's going to be the meatball, and you never know when it's going to be the bad pitch. And so if we're always ready, we'll never be surprised. But ready means yes, yes, yes. And, and in my mind, it's not just yes, yes, yes. It is yes, 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 yes. And then as that ball gets to that decision point, and we've started doing a drill with a lot of our players where we put you know, basically a ball on a tee that, at the distance that we think, well, right about here is, whether you, is where you should either say yes one more time and hit it or switch to no because you can see when it gets here that this is a terrible pitch. And using that as a kind of a checkpoint to help them has really been good for some of the hitters because you can see them kind of understanding, okay, I've got to be really ready when it gets there, because if I'm not ready when it gets there, I have no chance to get ready in time. And so uh, coaches, uh, for sure, we want you to make sure that we're working on this mindset. We have got to help our players understand that the most egregious cardinal sin of all in my mind about hitting is not being ready to hit when she throws you the one you should. And we talk all the time about hitters get themselves out. Well, how do hitters get themselves out? They take bad swings because they're not really ready. They wait too long to get ready, and so they're not prepared, and they take half-hearted swings at, at pitches. You know, their mindset is so messed up that they're not really ready to hit. And so the pitcher doesn't have to really even do anything very special to get them out. The pitcher just throws almost anything, and we can't hit it. And to me, that's a whole nother world that we want to avoid. Tori, I'm excited to hear about the video they sent, but I guess the next step is, is to have the entire team initiating and looking that way. Yeah. That, that would be exciting. Yeah, and, and that was uh, part of the discussion that we had via email was, you know, I'd love to see some more of this hitter now, you know, when she's swinging, too, when she's hitting, to kind of, you know, see the connect the dots. But to me, it was just a, a, a cool thing that um, at least one person understood that there was a lot to be taken away from watching her be really ready and then choose not to swing because it was a bad pitch. And so to me, uh, we have to just you know, really spend more time because too many hitters, and this is one of those things, we, we, we see it all the time when we watch these games on TV. Sally hits a pop-up to lead off the inning. And on her way back to the dugout, she has to stop and tell the next hitter what just happened. Now, understanding, I understand this sharing of information is almost always a good idea, but if the next hitter in line now is going up there thinking, I'll bet you she's going to throw me a curveball, and she's shocked when it isn't a curveball, then is she really ready to hit versus the, you know, she's going to throw a pitch. It doesn't really matter to me what it is. I'm going to get ready to hit it. If I like it, I will. If I don't, I stop myself. Right. And how much easier it would all be. It doesn't really matter then whether it's a curveball or a rise ball or a whatever. I get ready to hit. If I like it, I hit it. Kind of simple. 
Right, makes it easy. But way, way different <laughs> than what we see most of the time. So, And when we get them all uh, aggressive like this, Tori, if we can applaud aggression, when they do make mistakes, and they are going to make mistakes, yeah. they're going to miss some pitches big, and they're going to swing at some bad ones that are in the dirt. They're going to make some crazy things happen in the beginning. But continue to applaud that aggression because if they'll do that, they will refine that that eye, and right. they'll, they'll get better at it. Yeah, and, and the whole... Watching the fatty go over the heart of the plate and not being ready to hit it is just too heartbreaking. We have to we have to stop that. We have to get rid of that. That might be the one we get that game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, and you and I both know as you get better, as you go up the the ladder, you know, the pitchers spend their whole life trying to throw you as few strikes as possible. Now they want them all to look like strikes, but they don't want you know they don't want to ever throw you that meatball. We want now, a piece of which that is, which is, of course is why we're all complaining about the uh, college strike zone now because a lot of hitters are getting a lot more meatballs than I think they used to, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> a whole other discussion for another day. So, well, that's going to wrap up number 215. As always, please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bad Company, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. As always, please reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com with questions, comments, suggestions, and Player of the Week nominations. As always, go to fastpitchprep.com, order your Square Cuts training disc, and also take advantage of the 700-plus blog and uh, also the YouTube channel. There's tons of information there readily available for you. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.